promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. Don't regret this, Lord. I'm a wonderful person. Holy Gospel according to John, the sixth chapter. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, this last weekend, I went over to Vegas for a pastor's conference, which I think Vegas is a fitting place for a pastor's conference, um, place to bring the gospel to sinners. Um, and just we actually just ended up being a gathering of sinners in a place for sinners, so it was a perfect welcoming place. But I got the chance to, to be able to see some of my friends that I haven't seen in a while. One of them I haven't seen for a couple of years. We used to go on retreats together and everything. He's a pastor back in Minnesota, but he is also uh, the division chaplain for the Red Bulls, uh, the, the National Guard main National Guard unit in Minnesota. And so he actually spent a year in Kuwait a couple of years ago, and, and so I haven't had a chance to spend much time with him. But we are sharing our stories of our drive to Vegas. He had uh, flown into Ontario to go and see an aunt there in the Riverside area. And so he's sharing his, his trip with his wife from the Riverside area over over to Vegas on, on Friday afternoon, evening-ish. And, and I drove over to Vegas on Friday afternoon, evening-ish. And what we discovered was that we both suffered from a particular malady called DWS, driving while swearing. Um, You discover driving that direction that uh, no matter what my will was, because see, see, when we want to go to Vegas or LA or or wherever, we have a will of, I'm going to leave point A and I want to get to point B, right? When I leave here, I'm going to get here, and I'm going to do it in this amount of time, especially us guys, right? You know, I put on, even if I know how to get there, I'll put on GPS just because I want to beat the GPS, right? Safe. Anybody else? You turn it on, and it says, you're going to get there at 1052. You're like, oh, no, I'm not. 1049 at least, right? Um, So you have this this desire in yourself to be able to do that. And then you discover, unfortunately, that the world is full of 7.9 billion other wills. Wills, for instance, that want to drive the speed limit in the left lane going uphill, not passing a semi. 
Wills that, that, that make it so that all traffic has to slow down for at least five miles just because they decide to change lanes and almost cut somebody off, you know, those sorts of things, uh, which is why DWS happens to all of us. Um, and so we were talking about that, realizing that no matter what our will is, what we want, uh, we, we rarely ever are able to fulfill it. We, we, we come to life with, well, I want what I want when I want it. Or for those of you who are of a particular generation or older, a particular commercial comes to mind. I, I want it my way right away at, come on, the first Burger King now, yes. And now everybody wants a Whopper, right? Have it your way right away at Burger King now. Uh, the problem is, is that our wills are finite. They're mortal, Regardless of how quickly I wanted to get to Vegas, my will wanting to get there, that like I just wanted to, to apparate from one place to another like Harry Potter's, <laughs> or, or, or uh, have, have a, a, a transporter beam me there, that would, that would, be, that would be better. That, you know, um, not, not probably safer, but at least better. We can't do that. We're finite. We're mortal. And then we, then we end up... Also, having our wills go into contact with someone else's will, which is where all our sin comes from. It's either one, we tell God what we think he should do, and God just laughs, right? Or we decide, oh, I want a different God, and God goes, well, sorry, you only get me. Or the other direction is, well, murder, maybe? Adultery, lying, coveting. The whole Ten Commandments is kind of there to try and keep our wills from fighting against someone else's will. So when this petition comes to us, thy will be done, it comes to us almost always first as law to speak to us, to tell us of the reality that no matter how hard we try, our will is worthless. So this morning, we have our catechism, the third petition. And just as a good pastor does, uh, I will read the uh, third petition and ask you the question, and then you will recite it to me, the answer to the question, as we have lately. The third petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is surely done without our prayer, but we ask in this prayer that it may be also done among us. How does this come about? God's will is done when he hinders and defeats every evil scheme and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful self, which would prevent us from keeping his name holy and would oppose the coming of his kingdom. And his will is done when he strengthens our faith and keeps us firm in his word as long as we live. This is his gracious and good will. God's will. What comes of that for us? How often it is in our life, and we were talking about this in confirmation class here just a little bit ago, that more often than not, whatever we interpret as God's will usually is just our will masquerading in Jesus' clothes as God's will in some way, shape, or form, usually to try and justify our own actions. We'll add, well, it's God's will to something, 
to try, to try and make ourselves feel better, even though it's our own stupid, sinful self causing all sorts of harm. I, I have a movie clip this morning for you from, from the movie Kingdom of Heaven from 2005. Uh, it's a really good movie. It, it's, it, it depicts uh, the Crusades, it, um, or at least one of the Crusades in the Holy Land. And it's definitely full of this, this, uh, this trying to you know, explain God's will in a particular way. And yes, I know it's Hollywood. Yes, I know it's graphic and a little bit over the top, but just bear with me here for a second. Let's, let's take a listen. God wills it. I wonder how often it is we've heard that phrase used in many different circumstances, or maybe we've even used it ourselves, because maybe we want to give ourselves license. Oh, it's okay if I do this. It's God's will. God wills it. I can do it. Or, or scapegoat. That's my favorite, right? Because then it's not my fault. It was God's fault. I can point fingers at God. It's basically the reverse of, oh, the devil made me do it, right? Well, God wills it. It's God's fault. Basically falling into this trap of, of, of fatalism, that, well, it's God working in that way, well, it's just, it's going to be, meant to be. Uh, when I was in college, at Bethel College in, in Arden Hills, Minnesota, I can remember after a chapel service, uh, one time during the week, I was standing with some friends, and a girl came up and told us, yeah, this guy came up to me. And he told me that God had told him that we're supposed to be together. (laughs) Gentlemen, those of you in the room who are single, not a good pickup line. If you want want a girl to run away, um, go ahead and use it. Not the best. God's will basically just becoming our desire. We, 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 we pretend like it's God's will because, oh, well, it's something he's put on my heart. Never mind that Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that our heart is deceptively wicked. Who can understand it? And yet in the American culture, 
Uh, we're told that we're supposed to discern God's will. Well, what's, what's God's plan for my life? I know he's told me that he has a wonderful plan for my life. I need to find out, well, how do I figure this out? And we're, we're told, well, you read the Bible and you, and you discern your own spirit. What's your spirit telling you? What does your heart say? What does some, some mature counsel have to say about this? What, what are the circumstances of your life? What's some common sense? If you notice, I haven't even talked about God yet. Even though we're talking about his will, not your will. Haven't even talked about God really yet. The closest we get is, is the Bible. So often when people come to me and ask me, well, I'm trying to discern God's will, I often just say, well, get used to disappointment. Because we'll think that we know it and then we're usually wrong. But what's even worse, what's even worse is when God's will gets applied to basically everything t-shirt I put on yesterday. God's will. Coffee I had. God's will. Your business failed. God's will. Never mind the fact that, you know, the downturn in the economy, the store burned down, uh, supply chain problems, you're not really meant to be a business person. God's will. That bad grade on the test. God's will. Never mind you didn't study. (laughs) That speeding ticket. God's will. Well, maybe to to keep you humble. Um, Let's make it even worse. That miscarriage, God's will? That cancer, God's will? That overdose, that accident, that child taken by homicide or suicide, God's will? I've buried them all. You can ask my wife. I've buried them all. The amount of times I've been in the hospital room or I've been in the, 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 the funeral parlor, I've been at the home and something like this has happened, a death in this way, and someone has the gall to say, oh, God willed it. It was God's will. And it takes everything in my pastoral instinct not to jump up and scream at the top of my lungs, shut up. It's American puritanical Calvinist hogwash, claptrap, BS, It's from the pits of hell. It's there to try and get you to deny the promise given to you, to doubt who your God is. Death is not God's will. And if anyone has ever told you that, they've lied to you. All I have to do is is reread our text from this morning. Death is not God's will. If you have a piece, if, if you have a piece of paper and a pencil, you can write these down too for yourself, or you can go back and, and watch this on, on YouTube. Ezekiel 33, 11. I do not desire the death of the wicked, God says. First Samuel 2, 6. Hannah's praying. She's just been gifted Samuel. And she talks about how death and life are in the hands of God. But then the Psalms are full of these petitions of save me from death, save me from Sheol, save me from from the pits of hell. Isaiah 25, 8. Isaiah 25 is my favorite funeral passage. Because first it talks about heaven being a feast, big party, lots of meat, wine, good times. But Isaiah 25, 8, it says, I will swallow up death forever. I will destroy the burial shroud that is over all nations. Why would he do that if death is part of God's will? Or Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. We had this in our our confirmation class. 
where, where God speaking through Moses says, I've put life and death before you, blessing and curse. Choose life because God is your life. Or finally, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death is an enemy to God. It's not a friend. He might use it every once in a while to, to vanquish evil. It might be there because of the curse that came to us uh, from eating of the fruit in the garden, but it is not his will. It is an enemy to be destroyed. Well, what is God's will then? Is it some sort of path we're supposed to find? Is it some sort of excuse we use for some circumstance of life? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's actually life. Life. That's what it is. That's God's will for you. 1 John 5.13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You need to bear with me for a second. I'm the son of an English teacher. Uh, Using uh, our grammar, I write these things to you. John is writing to you. God speaking to you through John right now, this morning, and he's writing to you who believe or trust in the name of Christ. Not in your own name, but in his name, which is mentioned here as the Son of God for a purpose, because it says so that, right? It's for a purpose. So that. So that what? You may know that you have eternal life. Well, that verb, know, is in the perfect tense in the Greek, which stands for, it stands as written. It is certain. So the translation should say, so that you may be certain. So that you do not doubt that you have eternal life. And that other verb, have, is in the present tense, meaning right now, today, at this very moment, you have eternal life. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, right now. So when today becomes yesterday, and tomorrow becomes today, it still stands as true that you have eternal life in Christ. And I'll tell you that that is God's will for you, because I'll read to you our gospel reading again. Verses 39 and 40 of John 6. And this is the will of him who sent me. Jesus saying, this is God's will. Listen, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, the will of God. Jesus is laying it out for you. There's no mystery here. We talked about in confirmation class the difference between the hidden will of God and the revealed will of God. We aren't supposed to try and pursue what the hidden will of God is. We only go with what God has told us, and we trust him. And here he says it. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. God's will for you? To hold you close. To raise you. To show you Jesus. To trust in him alone. Not your heart, not your desires. And to know you already have life in him. That's God's will. Not what job you're supposed to have. Not where you're supposed to move. Not what coffee you're supposed to have in the morning. God's will is that. Our petition matters because it becomes the way that we beg God to speak over 
and over and over again because we need him to, because we are a forgetful people. God's will comes without our prayer. What does that mean? It means that God's will of life for you, his will of trusting in him, his will of raising you up, comes to you even when you forget to pray about it. Why? Because 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem, God made a decision about you. He said, you are mine. You're no one else's. You belong to me. And I'll show you how much it means to me. I'm going to die for you and be raised for you. You're to be mine. I am your God. You have no other. And I promise to give you all good things. Well, why is that a problem for us? Because the world, the devil, and our own sinful self comes to us and tells us it's not true. Everything comes to us and does that. Suffering, pain, loss, death. How can you trust God when such and such happened? Oh, you think God loves you? Really? When some bad thing comes to us to try and destroy us. So the will of God comes to you to try and remind you of the fact of who he is and what he has done for you, to to actually put your sinful self and the devil and the world to death and to raise you up into new life, to take the old you, the old Adam, the, the, the one that clings to your own will, put it to death and raise you to life, just like he did in your baptism so long ago. So we pray that it happens to us that it happens among us. We beg of it to happen because we can't do God's will. I can't do your will for you. You can try and force me to do what you want me to do, and I can try and force you to do what I want you to do. But that's not your will, and that's not my will. We can't do God's will. God does God's will. And so when we pray that it might be the same both in heaven and on earth, why do we do that? Because the people in heaven, their faith is now sight. Right? Am I wrong? Everything that we trust in, everything that we hold dear, we should be jealous. Because they see it now. They touch it. They smell it. They get to participate in it. And so when we beg Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're begging, make that faith real. Give me life in you above everything else, where we so often allow our sinful will to run rampant and to hunt for all sorts of other gods, all sorts of other deities, all sorts of other golden calves that we put up for ourselves, where we end up disappointing ourselves, disappointing our parents, disappointing our kids, disappointing our spouse. We beg God to make the opposite thing happen among us, that we might trust him and him alone. So our catechism and the scriptures tell us something different than what the world wants to tell us. And then God comes to us and says, okay, I'm going to do something with all those things that try and get in the way. I'm going to remove every obstacle that keeps you from trusting in me, he says. That's our hope. That's our prayer. When we pray, thy will be done, we're praying, get rid of these things that cause me to look somewhere else. Destroy whatever might try to deny me your promise, God. The promise of life in your name. The promise that he is your God, that he has redeemed you, that he has forgiven you all your sin, that that no matter what happens in this life, 
Your new life is a resurrected life. And so we pray that God might bolster our faith and know that we have all things because we have him. And then we also pray that the Holy Spirit might make us steadfast in clinging to God and clinging to his word and clinging in full trust. In part because there's part of us that still wants to know, well, what is God's will in this? What is God's will in that? Do I need to follow this and I want to follow that? Well, the joy of this petition, the, the, the joy, that the gospel that comes to us in this is that um, if I don't pick that right thing, whatever it might be, where, where people want to tell us, well, there's one way that you're supposed to go that's God's will, and if you don't follow that path, he'll have a plan B for you, but it's not going to be as fulfilling. It's not going to be as fun. Well, church, this petition comes to us and tells us, you know what, if you don't pick that right way, it's okay. It's okay. It will be okay. So in other words, wear a particular shirt or not. God doesn't care. Take the job or don't. Move, don't. Retire, don't. Marry her or him or don't. In our first John reading, it goes on to say, if we ask anything in accordance of his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have it. When we ask in God's will, we're asking God's will to come upon us, to give us life, because we know that everything else that promises life is not life at all. So church, remember, what is his will? John 6, to hold you close, to raise you up, show you Christ, trust in him alone, and know you already have life in him. So the questions we should be asking instead of, well, what is God's will for my life? God, what is God's wonderful plan for my life? Well, he might not have a wonderful plan for your life. Go try preaching that to the church in Afghanistan right now. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Might involve being hung or beheaded. Does that sound like a wonderful plan? I don't know. But those real questions we should be asking is, one, well, it's the most obvious, is this decision I'm going to be making involving sin? Right? Like actual like Ten Commandments stuff. Is that God's will? Probably not. Probably not. But how about will this decision keep me from my Jesus? Will this decision hinder my faith and love of God? Will this thing, whatever it might be, just become another golden calf for me to chase and burn incense to and believe that it's the God who's going to save me? Does this thing fall into the evil scheme of the devil, the world, or my own sinful self? Or another way, if I don't get that promotion at work, am I still whole? If I don't work 80 hours a week, am I still important enough? If my kid doesn't make varsity, is that okay? If one of my grandchildren becomes a teen parent. Is there somehow a failing? No, no. Or if I experience trial after trial after trial, hear the words of Christ again. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and, every, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should not lose 
anything that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. God's will is not a blueprint for you to follow. It's not a recipe. It's more than likely not a wonderful plan for your life. God's will is that you have a wonderful Jesus, and he's yours, and he's made you his. He clings to you. He's the toddler in the nursery screaming, mine, mine, tugging on you, saying, no, you don't belong to anybody else. You're mine. And that is what he gives to us, the will of God, that you might have life in Christ and have it abundantly. With this, we say thanks be to God. Amen. Let us stand together and sing.